Hello, welcome to Refigure, the weekly podcast about the arts, culture, tech and diversity. Why are you talking in a sort of weird accent? I don't know, I'm just being silly. Um, I'm Christopher. And I'm Reefer. Hello. Hello. You sounded like your mum then. I spent the day with my mum's <laughs> Was it good to see your mum? Yes. It was nice. She bought really lovely food. Uh, not that that's the only reason I like having your mum in the house, but she did bring some lovely food. So this podcast sounds a little bit more lo-fi than normal. Loose. Loose, because I'm going away tomorrow. So by the time you're listening to this, I'll be in Bruges. In Bruges. You have to always say in Bruges. I'll be in Bruges on my way to do some gigs with Jim Bob. And so I've had to pack loads of stuff and that means I couldn't get all the gear out. So you're listening to us recorded on my phone. Okay, so what you been up to? Lots of work, all sorts of fun things, editing another series of podcasts for someone else. Um, We're going to chat about wonderful Netflix series Abstract, which is a set of documentaries about designers, the second series of that. And um, then we're going to go to our friend Rob's house and we've got a new special guest correspondent, our friend Rob Pearson, or Robot Person. He's all about board games as well. Mainly he's going to become Refigure's official Star Wars correspondent and we're going to go over there and watch the first two episodes of The Mandalorian, which not many people in the UK have had a chance to see yet, which is the much-hyped new Star Wars series that has been used to launch Disney Plus in the USA and we'll talk about it with Rob. So that should be fun. Nice. Uh, What have you been up to? I attempted to go and see the Mark Leckie exhibition. Didn't do that. We went to the wrong Tate. It was the wrong Tate, Gromit. It was the wrong Tate. The second series of Abstract went up on Netflix. This is a series of kind of high production value documentaries about design, really. And each one is a profile of a different designer of a different discipline within design. I'd forgotten about that series and I wasn't even going to watch it, but you, Reefer, was um, just flicking around Netflix looking for something to watch and then you put it on. And immediately, the first person that they talked about was Olafur Eliasson, who we've been entranced by his art at the Tate Modern. So we immediately started watching. And then we watched the whole series, which is about six episodes, I think. Reefer, what did you think of the second series of Abstract? I really enjoyed it. Everybody was absolutely fascinating. I don't remember any of their names. The woman... <laughs> the second episode, Neri Oxman, who, if you're a fan of, like, wired tech, science, STEM stuff, you will know her from being the um, very attractive woman who cultivates new materials that emulate nature. It's so fascinating, and sort of organic architecture like literally making stuff and how plants grow and the design process is really interesting that episode's called bio architecture she's at mit and i love that that stuff around how they gave her the job in the first place they put in the ad top tip for people who work in tech if you want real thinkers then put in if you don't fit in in anywhere else come and work at our department well MIT Media Lab has long been a really acclaimed place for that kind of outsider and visionary thinking so Neri Oxman exists on the on that cusp between art and science doesn't she that was one of my favorite episodes 
they also have put in more kind of like background on each episode of the people's lives so it's getting a little bit queer eye where people are like talking about their stories but that's fine ruth carter you'll know her because she won the oscar for the costume design in black panther but she's been collaborating with spike lee for years she's amazing in it cass holman who new to me who has a company called heroes will rise she talks about designing from the lens of a genderqueer person where toys and playgrounds that she designs are just abstract and beautiful and non-gender specific and all about imagineering like engineering and and play well and about not imposing ideas on kids so she doesn't build toys that tell stories she builds toys that create an environment in which kids tell stories so a lot of her stuff is deliberately left vague so that kids imaginations can build the shapes or put the colors in or create the stories themselves which was incredible she told that story about how she was trying to sell these shapes she designed to the first company they were almost about to do the deal and they were like well where are the faces going to go and she was like what do you mean what are you talking about faces and they had just assumed that she was going to put nice pre-designed faces onto these gloopy characters but she hadn't she was leaving them free of that so the kids could put their own faces on them i liked that she had developed this whole system for engineering making her own toys for kids and it ended up being kind of like an indoor play thing and then she heard on the great vibe that um, people in china were ripping off her idea and instead of like getting lawyers involved or working out like how they could shut this thing down in China she went out and met the woman who developed their own system like independently it seemed of her thing and kids were like taking it even further without any kind of thought about health and safety and they collaborated together and I thought that's brilliant. One of the other episodes was about Hoofler the iconic designer of typefaces who's based in New York who's done loads of brilliant well-known fonts (laughs) and that was great because as well as being this guy's story it was a really interesting potted history of typeface and really useful where it didn't treat you as if you were a complete idiot but at the same time it gave you a real grounding in how the kind of language and design and aesthetic of font making has developed over the last few years especially moving from print into digital that was a really good episode as well the whole series i find um really uplifting and validating it's super interesting but what i really love about it is that it's not like a ted talk where they're just sort of telling you something they're explaining it the methodology in a really Mm. easy quick way so for example ian sporter has an episode around design a digital product design and he talks about instagram mostly but right at the beginning there's a really quick little animation that just explains difference between ux and ui and product design and it's just interesting to remember his sort of background the only thing about it i suppose that these are all contemporaries and they're all the same age they're all the same kind of they all have very similar backgrounds they're all kind of in their late 40s they're all you know what I mean they've all got that kind of especially the last two like Jonathan Hoffler he talks about being influenced by Star Wars special effects and you know the early Star Wars special effects how they did everything crafted everything by hand and then Ian Spalter talks about 
having a fucking ZX Spectrum and they do this whole fucking cheesy bit where he goes back to his home his dad digs it out of the attic oh look we just found this ZX Spectrum and dusted it off and see if it was it ZX Spectrum? something like that yeah yeah anyway and uh, also talked about how his mixed race routes are interesting and his mum and dad sort of sitting there going don't know what he does runs Instagram anyway the bit of where they show the logo design and how um, the bat process <laughs> was really funny because it's the tedious bit. I always find that the designers who are so anal about this stuff, but well, yet yeah, MIT lady, I don't mind her talking about growing things tiny, out of a tiny tube. cell. No, what's the tiny tiny cell? Subatomic. Oh, no, yeah, tiny molecular tiny, yeah. working down to the molecular level. That's what that. about. No. It's like because she's saving the planet and making materials <laughs> and making houses out of plants you know it's just funny isn't it i just spent my whole life working with designers and developers so i find that stuff funny this series has got a very particular style about it which is very high production value but also a bit hagiographic of the person like it's a bit worshipy and they put in a bit of personal biography and usually have a little emotional uh, like fulcrum or lever to humanize them although some of them don't need humanizing but some of them do there's a kind of structure to it that's now becoming quite normal on Netflix documentary series so for example I kind of feel like this is almost the same series as Chef's Table the foodie show where they focus on a different chef around the world yeah but it is different because these people are having a real impact the chefs i mean i don't know it's all a bit elitist with the chefs isn't it oh, well it's really elitist with this no, as well it's not instagram designer it's not it's not a font maker and ruth carter talking like i learned so much through that about like the craft of costume design like i had no idea that she has to like trawl through the scripts and it sort of seems like obvious now. She has to trawl through the script, then she has to like go back historically and then create like a visual tapestry, a visual uh, alphabet. What's the word? Like a visual language for a the film. A visual language, that's what yeah, I'm trying that, to say. It was an amazing episode. She's the only one I really knew already. Right. Like all of the others I didn't know. I'd heard, I knew her fleur by name. I know Olafur Eliasson by name. But I didn't. The only one I've sort of heard interviewed before or had any contact with before is Ruth Carter because when Black Panther was a massive hit and when she won her Oscar, she was the first woman of colour that had been like give, given that award, and it was not not exactly early in her career. Like as you said, she's been doing, she's done it for thirty years. The choice of the subject of this series, you can sort of say, Chef's Table was somehow more elitist than. I could totally see what you're saying. Posh chefs are not as important to the world as these creative visionary designers and i totally get that what i was more talking about was the language of the show the way yes. the show's made it's not like a ken burns series and it's not like a bbc series and it's not like a david attenborough series it's got its own kind of style that seems to be pervading across netflix on different shows and i really like it i really like that it has an expensive feel but a tight focus like here's a focus on one person and their career and work that's done some amazing stuff. I've just really enjoyed that. That's what I was sort of trying to say. Nice. Uh, so that is Abstract, uh, the story of design, is it? Maybe, yeah. Something like that. The art of design. Nice. Yeah, you can go back to the first series as well, which is all good. <laughs>
joined by the amazing Rob Pearson, our resident Star Wars expert. Hello. What we did was we've watched the two episodes of The Mandalorian that are that have happened. Yes, that's so right. So that's all that's been broadcast, right? Yeah, absolutely. Next one's next Friday. You're the person I think of who knows the Star Wars universe best. And we are sitting in your living room, absolutely full of Star Wars figures. <laughs> like a kind of museum quality collection <laughs> of... Uh, um, how do you think it fits in with the other films and did you enjoy it? Oh, well, did I enjoy it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, the headline really is, it feels Star Wars and, and it feels like Star Wars in a way which even the sequels, even the, you know, Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, it, feel, it feels more so than they do. You know, they definitely had their problems. There were bits about them that I liked as well, but this is just, just relentlessly good and very much like straight out of old school Star Wars. We're getting a lot of stuff in desert planets, like we've got the Jawa and all that. So to warn you, we're going to spoil it, sort <laughs> of, but we won't really dig into... Maybe we'll leave the big surprise. Yeah, yeah. That's the right thing to leave out, yeah. This is definitely a, a kind of Western iteration of the Star definitely Wars mythos. Spaghetti Western, even. Yeah. You know, the yeah. main character, he's a bounty hunter, which is straight out of, you know, good and bad and ugly, you know, Clint Eastwood. He has no name. Like, the man with no name. Yeah, we've gone two episodes, we haven't seen his face, we don't know his name, we've heard him speak, but, and this kind of leads on to the whole script, there's very minimal dialogue, really. They're not trying to overtell us the story. Uh, and I suppose that links to the visuals, so if we're not telling the story with words, it's definitely the visuals that are just incredible. The setting, the cinematography of it, it's all absolutely top draw, so it looks spectacular. But also authentic, so a lot of the... Like, the ship, the bounty hunter ship looks like Boba Fett's ship. Mm. The Jawa in it, in the big Jawa truck truck thing, looks absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah. You'd expect the production production design to be, like, top class with Lucasfilm, and it absolutely is. So all of those things, all of those details are fantastic. I had higher expectations for this than I do for The Rise of Skywalker, you know, the new movie that's coming out at the end of December. Expectations have been lowered in the fan base yeah. across, across the board for, for those films because of, you know, Last Jedi really split the, split the audience. It really did, didn't it? A lot of people really didn't like that. But all the omens were good about this. John Favreau has done all the, you know, written the story, like heavily involved in all the production. And the guy who directed episode one is this guy called Dave Filoni, who's kind of beloved of the, of the fan base because he wrote and uh, was like the principal for Star Wars Clone Wars, the cartoon, you know, which is really well regarded. <coughs> I loved that as well. He went on to do Star Wars Rebels, which was which was not quite as good, but still pretty good. I've got a feeling we watched quite a lot of Clone Wars because on your recommendation. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, I think it's we did. pretty do. dark. Yeah, uh, yeah just it's brilliant. not a... They don't mess around. You know, there's some real kind of... If you look at kind of worst moments on YouTube, there's some quite brutal bits in it. And here as well, it's got that lonely spaghetti western thing you mentioned the hero with no name mm-hmm. the hero has done a lot of killing and not a lot of talking or interaction yes. so far yet already the character's been built but i thought the first episode i was a bit worried that it was going to be a bit too low rent there were bits of it that were amazing like the spaceships mm-hmm. and the outdoor scenes mm-hmm. and the kind of expanse of it but there was some bits that I thought oh no you have to I have to really suspend my disbelief here right because his armor and uh, bits of like like the, there's a bit where it's straight out of Star Wars like the original where there's a 
an eye that comes out of a wall and yeah. like starts to oh, yes. I'm like I'm like it looks so like some guys behind something. the wall <laughs> yeah. and, the, and then the door like looked like someone had just pulled that but I thought well you loved Red Dwarf Reefer and that was pretty funky <laughs> so just go with it because there was a weird mix in the first episode the second episode that was fine it's like he's a this is a cheap actor this is a cheap production you don't have to like have you know it's like audio isn't it and mime he's miming well yeah the whole time but you know his expression and it's pedro pascal who's the like lead character it's not like he's not a, a named actor you don't recognize yeah. you recognize his face yeah so it's sort yeah. of extraordinary really he's having to you know portray that character with like a tilt of the head not words and not his face it's it's and it still does a reasonably good job of that i think it's a bit of a tom hardy performance like where he always ends up acting things where you can't see his face yeah, yeah. and this is going to be oh, quite a big it's going to be focused on him for a long time i wonder if, if there will be a reveal at some point because we've done two episodes and he hasn't taken his helmet off but we wouldn't know would we like you could <laughs> oh, yeah. have anybody under there that's what i'm trying to say i didn't realize it was something that's true it makes it very easy for body doubles doesn't yeah. it yeah <laughs> or just the fact that you know it could be anyone and we're we've been under wiser i saw this interview with john favreau a couple of weeks ago and someone asked him that question you know do you get to see his face does he take his helmet off and he said do you really want to go there you know, we're wrapping presents in here. Do you really want to burst into the bedroom whilst we're wrapping these presents? You don't want to know that. Which is perfect for the whole thing. There is a fantastic surprise at the end of the first episode that does two jobs really brilliantly. It works as incredible fan service and at the same time it sets up what could be an absolutely huge adventure. Mm-hmm. Proper jaw drop moment, wasn't it? Yeah. It was excellent. I watched that with Ruby my daughter for the first time we're both massive Star Wars fans and she grabbed my leg and just looked at me and went "Ah!" (laughs) I love that you wanted to watch it again with us as well and we've only had two episodes oh yeah it's not like we do anything else in between the podcasts that come out no we don't Uh, Werner Herzog is amazing as well that he suddenly he's the first sort of really familiar person who pops up Mm -hmm. in it He's very Werner Herzog in it, but that's somehow, it's almost like you could totally imagine the actual Werner Herzog living in the Star Wars universe. Absolutely. Like, that's gem casting. I'd love to know what the story was behind him getting that role. You know, what was that little connection? There must have been something there. But again, great. And the voice of that Ugonaut character, the one who who says, uh, I have spoken, you know, who's his sort of mentor character, that's Nick Nolte, who's done the Uh... voice for that. Which is a slightly odd bit of casting. Well, who's, who's the... Who's the... Who's the... That's the worst Verna Herzog impression ever. There's a Netflix documentary at the moment. It's called In- Into the Inferno, which is a Werner Herzog. He's just talking about volcanoes. Oh, and brilliant. it's all about, as you stare into the fire. That <laughs> <laughs> wasn't very good either. <laughs> he doesn't have a mobile phone. That's the story I heard about Werner Herzog. Makes sense. And also, he's in um, Rick and Morty. That's a fantastic little scene. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the things he does are amazing, but, yeah. Yeah, I've kind of warmed to it now, but I was a bit like, oh, I hope it's not going to be too clunky. I didn't believe his armour at the beginning. Mm -hmm. His armour was a bit cardboardy as well. I didn't really notice that there weren't any women. There is a sort of uh, mate of his with horns who happens to be a female Mandalorian. You had to explain it to me that where we were in the canon have you already explained that to our listeners yeah i think it's six years after return of the jedi so it's what the imperials call the revolution after the revolution 
so the New Republic, we don't know what state that's in yet, but there's obviously like remnants of the old uh, empire knocking about. That's what we've seen with Werner Herzog and his stormtroopers. Right. You know. And this is out on the edge as well. So perhaps yeah. at some point, like one of the most exciting things about this is because the story unfolded in a really calm way and didn't try and tell us loads of mythos, mm-hmm. they are loose now that they can do anything with that character. So we could easily find ourselves in a few episodes right in the heart of the New Republic where it's all clean and tidy and they've rescued lots of people and they're doing lots of good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But already we're seeing a lot more moral ambiguity about obviously the Empire was a bad thing but it's gone but what's replaced it at, at certainly out here on the fringe yeah, yeah. isn't good, it's just chaos. Isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's definitely that um, yeah, lawless vibe. But you still see, like I got confused because I thought, oh, well, I remember Boba Fett character. Then you reminded me, it's nothing to do with that, but he is that religion or that mm-hmm. family or that world. So they are natural bounty hunters because they're all about their weapons. And In Return of a Jedi, he falls into the Sarlacc, you know, the yeah. pit with uh, where Jabba like dies, and then he somehow escapes from that in the in the comics or. Um, all the books or something like that and so there is a load more story around it but so actually, wait Boba Fett isn't necessarily dead well it's but all of that was parked all of that the, the books and the comics is now Star Wars Legends uh, and isn't canon isn't part of the canon oh I see and um, from when Disney bought it and they started writing their own stories for that period all of that stuff was parked and that, that, that put a lot of fan noses out of joint as well because mm. people really love that stuff they do integrate little bits of the of that old legend stuff, like rebels, certain characters. I felt like there was a lot of stuff that was very Star Warsy, like the whole bit where he's trying to um, what are the little people called the Jawas. The Jawas. Yeah. He's trying to get in the Jawas vehicle, but then maybe that's because it's like referencing so many westerns and so yeah, many, definitely uh, railway like train. Being on a train and well, trying to get on the train. There's actually a bit in, in Indiana Jones oh, and, yeah. um, what is it, the, and the Last Crusade, the third one, which is one of my favourite ever movies, where they're on some sort of old World War One era tank and he's sort of caught on it and they drive that into the rocks to try and, like, knock him off. And that was very similar to that. I think that's yeah. what that reference was. It's great. I love that, though. That's like referencing those things. So it doesn't always have to be polished tech mm-hmm. as well i was thinking of the scrap metal and all the all the dirtiness of it all well that's, you know it's the classic souls isn't it it absolutely is that used universe it's uh, yeah it's yeah. the exact opposite of star trek where everything's yeah. you know gleaming white clean yeah, yeah. yeah and this immediately felt like a real populated grubby corner of places with uh-huh. lots of human life going on aside the adventures that we're actually watching. Again, very Star Wars vibe, the kind of Moroccan bazaar feel to, yeah. to the whole thing. Even the music, in fact, it's probably worth talking about the music, which is, I've, uh, I've listened a couple of times now, and one of the, like, the main theme I've had is an earworm. It's, um, it's Stefan, is it Gustafsson? Gustafsson yeah. or something like that. He's done various things, like he did the Black Panther scoring, oh, yeah. and um, really good. They're really, you know, they've shelled out for a really mm. decent soundtrack, and it definitely comes across well. There was a bit in where he's sort of inspecting his car, uh, his car, his vehicle, whatever you call it, <laughs> ship that's been stripped. And because the music's so evocative, it's like a silent movie. He's just wandering around. We don't even see his expression. We're just filling in all the gaps, aren't we? And he's just wandering around, like going, this isn't very good, is it? But he's, it's all internal. Okay, final question before we stop recording. 
did you have a favourite moment of fan service? Did you have favourite Easter eggs? Yeah. Apart I, from the big spoiler. In the shootout at the end of episode one, there's an egg droid, like the bounty droid, which is that sort of spindly sort oh, of yeah. character. So, so that's a... It's, so in this, it's Ig 11, but there's another Ig droid yeah. in The Empire Strikes Back who's just there on the sort of Star Destroyer bridge with the other bounty hunters. You see it really briefly, okay, and it doesn't do anything in that movie at all. And so since Empire Strikes Back, which is 81, you know, you've wondered, what's its capabilities? What can it actually do? And you see it absolutely kicking ass <laughs> like, a, like a turret, you know, aiming its arms independently, aiming the, like its eyes are spinning around independently. It's just like <laughs> absolutely amazing. And it's, it's sort of really dry kind of humour. Or it keeps... Oh, I better not say what, what it actually keeps trying to do. In a very short space of time, that Igdroid has quite a rounded character. Mm. And you're saying that that's just from pretty much one shot, that it was present. Absolutely, yeah. So See, that's that I love. Yeah. And it had all the character of the other droids that we know so well. <laughs> so it feels like, oh, this is totally... And it has this weird sense of humour. Yeah, it's, and, a, it's quite yeah. a dry sense of humour. Yeah. Do we even know his name yet? Like the, like the dealer in uh, High Maintenance. We may never find out his name. Or um, the eye in With Now. Oh, yeah. There was a bit in there with the sunset that I was like, oh, this is so cheesy, but it's Star Wars, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where they go off into the sunset, and it was so, like, we're in a Western. But that's cool. Mm-hmm. But there's also, like, a bit of, um, you know, the Samurai Warrior type stuff going on as well, and the Lone Wolf and... All of that that everyone loves so much. It's brilliant storytelling, isn't it, though? If you have, like... You don't have to use so many words and you don't have to have fucking people telling you what's going on all the sort of exposition. Yeah. So what's the creature that lives with Jabba the Hutt? What's one of them? Those little kind of pointy-eared... Or the little monkey lizard thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a... Jabba's is called Salacious Crumb. Salacious <laughs> Crumb. <laughs> I can show you in my little, my little see, Jabba display. Oh, then I can take a photo of <laughs> it on the internet. Okay, so this is the... This is the Jabba part of the display. He's right oh, there on top of Jabba's tail. Can I take him? Hang on a sec, let me hear. Oh no, I might look, I'm really clumsy. Do you need dining? You're going to have to take a photo before we go. Yeah. Can, um... But Salacious Crumb is his name, right? So That's I right. don't know what his species it, okay, is. Okay, the species is something yeah, like... so disgusting. Like a Kawakian monkey lizard All right. or something like that. So those, in, in an early scene, in this, that bit where basically one of them is being roasted on a spit in the town. And then there's another one in a cage that is carried right past the one that's being roasted on a spit. And even in those three seconds, you see one of these salacious crumb creatures. Hello. He's so gross. He's um, classic um, Gollum. Gollum. I was going to say, he looks more like a proto-Skexis from Dark Crystal. It's a very Henson-y creature of evil. Absolutely, yeah. But... Just on his face, getting that in three seconds on his face, realising that he, what he was headed for was to be <laughs> yeah. a spit roast was easy. <laughs> I thought he was going to get rescued, but yeah, no. No. There's so much to absorb. I've watched it a couple of times now. I can see myself watching it a few more times. I, I said to Ruby, this is for us. They've made some TV just for us, for you and me. It's really kind of, you know, the, the peak of the stuff that we're going to really like, love. So I was, it's great. I'm, I'm really pleased. Uh, that's brilliant, Rob. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's a it. real pleasure. What are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading for, Reefa? Well, I'm reading a book called Get Rich, Lucky Bitch that I 
Resisted Reading. It's by Denise Duffield Thomas, who is a woman who used to live in London. She's Australian and she has built this whole empire all around money mindset. And she's got quite a compelling argument in the book around how you have to sort of train your mind to be grateful for the abundance in your life already and change the way that we think about money. Her stuff is all aimed at women, especially women entrepreneurs. It's a really good book around how to review your own money situation and talks about how women historically have, you know, not had any money or wealth or power before. So she talks about how she's overcome her own kind of... um, worries and concerns about money and how she's built this multi-million empire i find her manner and way she, like her whole thing you know if you, she's got a blog and she's got like loads of free videos and advice i find it all really uplifting and whenever i watch anything that she does it really zings into my brain it might not be the best written book in the world but it's super fun and interesting it's called get rich lucky bitch and it's by Denise Duffield Thomas. What are you reading, Blub? Blub. <laughs> a few episodes ago, I banged on about a fanzine or a little magazine called Weird Walk that uh, I had bought in magazine shop in Brighton, and unbeknownst to me, it was made by someone I know, Owen Tromans from Hampshire. Unbeknownst? Unbeknownst to me. Oh, dearie me. Sorry, everybody. Hitherto. Hitherto. Oh, God. I've set you off. The new edition of that magazine, little magazine, is out and it's really good and it features a really brilliant conversation with one of my very favourite authors, Ben Myers. So uh, that's Weird Walk. I think you find it online. Just, just uh, I think it's weirdwalk.co.uk. Anyway, it does really inspire me to make a fanzine and what I think I'm going to do is make a potato-themed fanzine. If you're interested in contributing to my potato-themed fanzine, then you, uh, like, email me. Talk about chips and shit. Yeah, but no recipes. Yeah, just like a fanzine dedicated to the potato. Oh. Like potato poetry or potato um, writing essays potato about potatoes. Prince. Potato prints, etymology of the potato. Maybe I'll put a call out. Maybe I'll run an academic conference on the potato in culture. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you very much for listening. Love Thank you, you very bye. much for listening. Thank you very much Love for listening. Thank you very much for listening and putting up with the slightly lower sound quality than usual. I'm going to edit this on the Euro Tunnel tomorrow and then put it straight up as soon as I can. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash refigurepod. We're on Twitter at refigurepod and we're on Instagram at refigureuk. Please like, subscribe, send us a lovely review, all of that kind of stuff. Do you want to do some housework or am I just doing it all? Love you, bye. Love you, bye. We shouldn't say love you, bye because Adam Buxton does that thing where he goes... does he? At the end of every episode he goes, love you, and then he shouts bye really loudly. Okay, rewind that bit. It's his trademark thing. Is it? Yeah. I barely am aware of his podcast. Yes, but he's a lot more famous than we are. No, I'm not interested. No. I'm not. Anyway... Make sure you look at the Instagram because it's the most fun Instagram ever. Yeah, Ed at Refigure UK. Adam, what's his name? I don't even know. Adam. Nice. Thank you. Goodbye.